0: It's another week of Surviving Creativity, the show all about following your dreams, becoming your own boss, and hopefully surviving the process. I'm your co-host, Corey Cassoni, and I'm joined every week with cartoonists Brad Geiger and Scott Kurtz as we discuss the ever-changing world of creativity and new media technology. Surviving Creativity is made possible by listeners like you. If you like what you hear, head to patreon.com forward slash surviving creativity, and please consider becoming a patron. You can now find Surviving Creativity in iTunes. Just search Surviving Creativity and add us to your queue. You'll get an update every time we post a new episode. This week, Brad and I got a chance to sit down with Kyle Stevens, the singer-songwriter of nerd rock supergroup Kirby Crackle. It's a fantastic conversation all about pop culture, music and new media, and, of course, brewing beer. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another week of Surviving Creativity. Surviving Creativity. I think, we're finally, I think we're finally ready.
1: Cool. Uh, do we have <laughs> Do we have a general uh, direction that we're going uh, well, uh, in this uh, This one? What do we want to cover?
0: Kyle, you've got a new album coming out, right?
2: Got a new album coming out. Um, it was announced today that uh, my brewery is doing a, a dual release of the day of of a new beer. I'm sorry. Oh. You have a brewery? Wait, wait, no,
0: it's, hold on. We're getting into this now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: That's, that, that's, that's what we can talk about if you want to. Yeah,
0: oh, we cool. should talk about yeah. your brewery. Absolutely. Uh, Kyle Stevens has a brewery. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're just going. This is just how we do it. We just start. We're just going? Yeah, there's no like preamble. I mean, we put a little thing at the beginning and it plays and that's all recorded. Well, and, and as
1: Scott is quickly qu- quick to point out, it's only a three and a half minute intro.
0: I'm trying to get it up to like six <laughs> minutes or seven minutes,
1: but this is like,
0: this is like prog rock podcast. right? <laughs> is there a flute? There should be. There will be. Kyle Stevens. <laughs> it's going to be good. We're going to make it work. I'm into it. Wait. Okay. So <laughs> back up. You're uh, you're Kyle Stevens of Kirby Crackle, which is that a, is that is I. If if our listeners haven't heard of it, it's a nerd rock band. So you guys play rock music based on nerdy stuff. All right. Yeah
2: yeah we we started in 2009 with no, the no, idea. No no, no.
0: Of Listen listen let's get to the important stuff. Oh okay. you have a, you have a brewery. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do. <laughs> I, do. <Squeeze laughs> I do. Let's well, yeah, the music. let's start let's start with for, the beer. For the state of. For, To be official with
2: Washington State Liquor Control, we are not designated a quote-unquote brewery yet because we don't have a facility. Uh But for all lamest terms, we do have a brewery, which means that we brew beer at a different facility, and it's out in the Seattle market.
0: Hold on a second. When you say a facility, I used to make wine in my closet, and I don't (laughs) think that anyone should have given me a license to do that. Well, you are a moonshiner, and they have a show about that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I wasn't distilling anything. You can ferment wine in your closet, that's, yeah. or, or at least everyone in my family does. So, Yeah.
2: That, that's how a lot of people start with brewing, too. I mean, it starts at the home brew level, and, and I think when everyone makes their first batch of horrible beer, it tastes like the best thing they ever had because they did it, and then they say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, "Yeah, hey, you know, I have a dream to one day clean a lot of stuff for a long time
1: (laughs) well yeah because cleanliness is really important in that process i mean you've got to start with very sterile equipment right
2: yeah like one little funky dude gets in there and it can mess your whole thing up and then there's a whole school of brewing that wants the funky guys to get in there because that makes it like horse blankety and and funky and (laughs) farmhousey and stuff like that oh so gross
0: (laughs) if horse blankety is a turn that you enjoy (laughs) <laughs> force blankety is what
1: you're after <laughs> and and but, but you're <clears throat> selling the difference between you and, and, and Corey's Closet Wine is that you're selling this in other words I can walk into a Seattle store and buy uh, Kirby Crackle beer you can't
2: buy uh, it in a store yet we're only on draft so we brew a, a two one barrel batches um, twice a month and a one barrel batch means two of those big kegs when you think of Kegs, right? Mm-hmm, Big kind mm-hmm. of kegs. But we do uh, six barrel kegs. So we get six guys out of that. And so wow. that's because we do high ABV beer. So like eight percenters, um, eight and a half percent, kind of stronger beers. Uh, Brewery is called Charging Hippo Brewing. So it kind of goes with our name. just kind of our whole deal. Uh, and so we're in uh, six different bars um, twice a month with two different beers.
1: Wow, that's cool. How did
0: you, okay, I, I mean, I know we brought you here to talk about music, <laughs> uh, but this is surviving creativity, and I think there's a a, a severe level of creativity that goes into into uh, making the boozes, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. which is what we'll call it from now
1: on, the boozes. There's a, there's a the lot boozes. of creative, creativity that comes out of drinking the boozes, I'm gonna but call that's another show. The boozes.
0: the boozes. You yeah. guys, Name your next beer after me that call it the boozes, especially <laughs> at 8 it. or 9%. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> people people don't expect that kind of kicking the teeth when they drink a beer. Uh but anyway, so you I you know you're you're I'm trying to envision this. You're playing guitar one day and and then just all of a sudden you go I need to brew beer and then you just are in the kitchen in the sink brewing <laughs> beer. I'm like how did this come to pass? This doesn't make any sense to me. It makes zero
2: sense. And and trying to do two things at once, Kirby Crackle and brewing really makes no sense, but we'll get into that later. Um so like basically it's it started with Um, You know, in 2009, we started Kirby Cracker. We started touring everywhere. And I started kind of getting into craft beer, seeing my friends kind of brew. And I thought that was cool, sitting in a couple brew days with them. Got some equipment myself. First beer was horrible. Second one was awesome. Third beer was horrible. And I started kind of trying to figure out, okay, you know, what hops I liked, what grains I liked, based on beers that I enjoyed personally. That's kind of how every brewer starts, I think, because you find a beer that you like. Like, for me, it was... Uh, you know, in in Philadelphia, actually, Victory Brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, they were a big fan, I was a big fan, excuse me, of them, and I really like their hop devil IPA. So oh, I love that stuff. Uh, I found a clone, you can find these clones of, of beers online. Make that, and of course it's not gonna turn out exactly like theirs because they kind of have their own yeast and everything. Mm-hmm. But um I would say, okay, I like this, but let me tweak it to make it my own. Kind of like how when you started bread, I assumed like you would draw in someone's style and then learn kind of how your style works off that
1: absolutely absolutely
2: so it to me was a lot like music and that i didn't really know what i was doing when i started out but a lot of breweries when i would go to comic conventions um you know when i would disappear on saturday nights or friday night before the show i was actually at breweries talking to to brewers or the bartenders about what's popular in that area and kind of getting my fanboy on in the craft beer community and then at night and then doing the, the comic thing during the day at the conventions. Wow. So to me, it was like a way to go to different areas and actually tour simultaneously with Kirby Crackle and, and kind of fanboy up on all the brewers in
1: the area.
0: That's insanity. I love it oh yeah there, there's a lot of
1: passion there because yeah. you can't you, this is not something that you, that you that, that could ever be forced, right I mean you've got to really want to do both of those things and do them well
2: yeah, and I'm always trying to find a balance in that you know I think sometimes I do one better <laughs> than the other and and you know as with anything creatively it's it's kind of it's become a passion in the way that music for me is a passion where I kind of feel like now I have no choice but to do it, mm-hmm. you know and it's just kind of in me and and to me you know we've been out we're coming up on our one year anniversary for having Charging Hippo out in the in the Seattle craft beer marketplace and the first day our our beer debuted I felt like when I was 13 and I played my first show you know like (laughs) I was just like so happy that my friends were there and and, like my wife is like you gotta calm down like you are amped up (laughs) but I was amped man it was really fun and and you know it's driving around and I I'm like kinda like the one brewer in Seattle that doesn't have a big burly beard. So I think when I was showing up at places, people were like, Who's this weird dude? You know, Who's who has a clean band too and what man the hell?
0: without the beard trying to hawk me beer.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, they made a beard beer in, in Portland. I don't know if you're aware of that.
0: I am, yeah. 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 I'm a, so I'm, I'm always a, telling I'm my brewing partner fan. that
2: that we need to like harvest the yeast from one of our leg hair or something like that, you know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's going to want that, but they wanted
0: the beard beer and that did well, so we'll see, huh? Ah, it did okay. I mean, it it, did okay. nobody wants to drink the the dirty hipster mustache waxed <laughs> beer thing. I mean, that you drink it because you go, "Ah, oh, this is it's made of someone's facial hair." And then you think about it and you go, "That's really just pubes on your chin." I don't know I, if I want to <laughs> yeah. keep doing that. And why does this guy's chin pubes taste <laughs> so good? Right. You can't, you, know? point, you can't quite figure out why you're still drinking the beer. Yeah. Uh, but let's back up because, because I, I think we're going to catch some people off guard. Okay. You're Kyle Stevens and you are primarily <laughs> known for a nerd rock band called Kirby Crackle. Yes. That began in 2009. Yes, sir. Okay. So Much tell- like
1: hobbits believe in second breakfast. We here at Creative <laughs> Surviving Creativity believe in second intros. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we just believe in starting. We uh, that's every right. every guest is caught off guard. We always have people on, and they're like, "Are we going?" They're like, "Yeah, we started." Oh yeah, oh, we started fifteen oh, minutes ago. Oh, uh, ah, uh, uh, talking uh, about
1: your ex wife. Yeah yeah, 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 it's yeah like yeah, yeah. We're, we're talking
0: a lot of industry shit. Okay, we just let that go for ten minutes. Now we're gonna <laughs> right, right, right. Well, but uh, I mean, that's the thing, though. Right? Is like we the whole point of the show is to get people on to talk about their passions and if beer making, I mean, look, we know you, the, the, the Kirby crackles pays the bills, but really if beer making is what you're into, then that's what we want to talk about. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I'm into, I'm into both, man. It's taken both to pay the bills as, as any creative kind of knows, you kind of gotta, you gotta hustle and you gotta adjust, I think, to the, um, to the landscape of things ever changing. I mean, I mean, sometimes I look at the things I choose to do and I'm like, I've, picked the two craziest things ever which is music and that's always changing comics have always changed are always changing but i'm kind of on the peripheral of that because i did the music Mm -hmm. thing so i watch you guys and kind of see what you guys are going through and be like okay yeah the music industry did that last year or we haven't done that yet (laughs) you know, that kind of thing um and the craft beer thing is you know when we started the inception of charging hippo the idea like four years ago we thought oh we're gonna get this huge ass system and it's gonna be great and now I look at all the breweries that have opened up since that time, and I'm so glad I didn't go the route I originally thought. Because mm-hmm. n- now you have a lot of breweries in a very concentrated area, in Seattle especially, and everyone has a huge, big-ass system, and it's not like tap space is growing. Yeah. So right. you know what we chose to do is kind of become, right now, a subsidiary brand of another facility that we brew at, and, and then you know when we find our own place, that thing will kind of kind of work its way out but um, I think I'm also in some ways addicted to the randomness of the music industry and the beer industry and that things are always changing it kind of keeps you on your toes and because of that you can get away with certain creative things that maybe in a traditional industry would kind of be looked down upon.
0: So go back to 2009 and what what were you doing and how did Kirby Crackle get started?
2: Um, Before Kirby Crackle got started? Sure. uh, I was... Um, So I started playing guitar when I was 13, and I grew up kind of with my buddies and just being in bands and everyone learning how to play together. I was in a band called Layman's Terms from 13 to 25, and we were kind of the kind of local, kind of all-ages, up-and-coming, early 20s band that never got signed, but we could pack places on a Saturday night, and that, that perfect kind of blending of events of of your band's doing well and all your friends are 21, 22. So yeah. everyone's going out, you know, that kind of thing, which is, you know, different now in your thirties and everyone has kids. And so if you want to have a, <laughs> you know, if you want to have a show that everyone goes to, you got to make that on a Sunday afternoon, you know, that kind of right, deal, right, right, yeah, changes. So I was in a band, Lamest Terms, for a long time. And that broke up when I was 25. And I was kind of like messed up creatively, just kind of for a year, because that was kind of, almost like an extended
1: ending of my childhood in a way. Well, Yeah. yeah and it, so, it was a huge part of your your uh, formative years. What was the reason that it broke up? Was it just tie, the, the right time, or was there uh, a couple of people that couldn't get uh, along together anymore? What was the deal? It was kind of,
2: I think, you know, in, in retrospect years later, it was Ooh. everyone kind of being in this certain bubble for a long time through their, preteens and their teenage years in their early 20s and then everyone kind of wanting to figure out what they were really like outside of that you know kind of like almost like if you dated someone from 11 to 26 and 26 yeah. you're totally different and you still love that person but also it's I would imagine it'd be very different unless you're growing together in a direct path it would be hard to keep the same passion uh, alive for that so we were all friends and stuff but you know, some guys started wanting to do kind of like the Mumford and Sons beard rock kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was, and I wasn't really into that. And one guy's like, Hey man, I, I want to go to school. And so it was kind of like a natural ending. But for me, it was, it was really hard. Cause I grew up with the, the mindset, like a band is like a gang, you know, yeah. like a band is like you two, like you're together when you're 15 and you're together forever. And, and because we hadn't quote unquote at the, time the industry in making it was getting signed which is very different yeah, from yeah. now so we hadn't gotten signed yet and I needed to. I felt like I had to see that through so long story long that was that <laughs> and then I took some time off and then I started kind of this solo career thing acoustically um, and I would go travel and play wineries and play a mix of covers and originals um, and then I put out a solo album called Songs from the Orange Room and then during that time I was always kind of putting little nerd references into songs that made me laugh. Yeah. But but my fan base wasn't a geek centric fan base at that time. So I was, you know, reading comics, playing games, doing all the stuff that, you know, we all love to do. And I thought, okay, so how could we take this further in terms of what would it be like to write a song and then a whole album of songs that took that subject matter seriously? that wasn't yelling Spider-Man, Spider-Man over and over again, right. but was talking about power and responsibility, or talking about Mario Kart, and kind of what what's the, what's the metaphor for Mario Kart, always trying to keep up? Like, is it keeping up with the times, or trying to be the best version of yourself, or, or keeping up standards in a relationship, and kind of put those metaphors into the pill of nerd culture, which we all know and love. So that was kind of the idea
1: behind Kirby Crackle.
0: I think that's the trick that's made Kirby Crackle really popular and really functional as well, because if you, you know, if you think about modern music today and, and sort of pop music and rock music, it's, it's, there's some serious recurring themes here. You know what I mean? It's hard to find a song. that's not about, you know, love or angst or betrayal, or it's just these big, broad, or, or, you know, DJ, make my ass dance kind of thing. Like you, (laughs) you've got, you've only got to say about grandmas, Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then when you get into the nerd rock realm, you, you've got a lot of, like you said, we're just going to yell Spider-Man and everybody's going to freak out because everybody knows what Spider-Man is. Uh, but I, I, you know, I think you approaching it in that manner where taking really the heart of what the stories are about you know, as far as Spider-Man like, uh, responsibility and, and, uh, you know, and, and power and using things wisely. I mean, I think that's what really has kept you guys going for so long.
2: Well, thanks, man. I, I, that's what we try to do. You know, we try, to, we try to make it so if you don't know anything about comics, you still say, that's a quality song. Like, the song has to come first. And I feel like, you know, not like we redefine the whole nerd music genre because, of course, we know Weird Al was way before us and then there's MC <laughs> Front a lot and all those guys. Um, but I think for what we do, we try to make our special brand about the heart of the character and kind of like, what would I do if I was able to write comics? It's like for a long time I wanted to write comics. And I realized, well, that's just not kind of my deal. My deal is writing songs. But what if I wrote a song, how I would write a comic, in hopes that it would connect with people? And and so, you know, sometimes it's humorous, like our song Booty Do Math, you know, about this butt that can't do math very well and is walking around like a, you know, like a little troll guy, and and that was just came out of my My experience growing up in high school having to go to to math tutoring all the time. And like, what if there was a weird R. Kelly-esque schoolhouse rock song? Would that have made me do math better? Probably not, but it would have been more fun.
0: (laughs) So your your previous incarnation, you you said you started at 13. That seems pretty young for a guy wanting to be in the music industry and get signed. I'm assuming that there were some outside influences there that you had some parental support or some... Somebody somewhere sort of saying, yeah, go do this, do this thing.
2: Well, my uncle, uh, my uncle was in a band in the seventies called Gabriel and they were kind of groomed by CBS records to be the next kind of Eagles for the, for the time. And as happens in, in weird music industry stuff, people leave labels and you have no rep anymore and stuff kind of fizzles out. That was kind of their story. So he always played bass, um, in bands and he'd bring an acoustic guitar to family gatherings and i thought it was cool but not so cool as oh i want to do that but what happened like for me was the formative years of of me getting into music in seattle was like 91 92 and so that was kind of the big breaking nationally sure, yeah. of the seattle scene so yeah, like nirvana and, yeah, yeah. Was going yeah on. nirvana pearl jam sound garden screaming trees like at the same time i was really into comics and the image boom. So for me, like all these people were kind of like my gods together yeah. where I literally, and I, and I said this the other day in an interview, like I literally thought when I went downtown, I was going to see Eddie Vedder playing basketball with Kurt Cobain because <laughs> like, that was in my little suburb of North Seattle. And you know, guys who were older than me and people who were like 21, 22 were like, man, why is this? why is this scene happening? It's our scene. It's not about like Michael Caine wearing flannel and Vanity Fair, you know, but to me that was my only access to that because I was too young to go to shows. Sure. So yeah. I just ate that all up. Like the Seattle times local newspaper blurb about Pearl jam. Those guys rolled their eyes out, but me I was like cutting it out and putting it on the front of my <laughs> trapper keeper kind of stuff. So that was really why I wanted to play guitar. Cause I saw those videos like even flow and, and and you know sound garden jesus christ pose and stuff and i asked my parents for a guitar uh, when i was 13 so they gave me this little crappy three-fourth size harmony guitar and i totally understand why they did because they're like hey we're not going to spend 500 dollars on something for this kid who might not even like this right but uh quickly i kind of needed to move on to a bigger guitar because i the frets didn't go as high um and then just had my little amp and i would walk you know, every Sunday afternoon from my house, you know, there's like five miles in the snow. No, but I would walk like two miles to my friend's house <laughs> in my, you know, my little skinny ass and, and carry my amp and my guitar. We'd have band practice for six hours and then it'd go home and band practice, meaning playing the same three chords over and over. again. Right, right. Yeah.
0: So when you got started with Kirby Crackle in 2009, you were right uh, in the heart of new technology sort of sweeping the way things were done. Uh, you know, obviously going into this, this probably wasn't like a, oh, we're going to get signed kind of scenario. Like, had you moved beyond that? Was there a different, was there a different win or end goal at that point? Um, yeah, and in, in the way, like, there wasn't Kickstarter yet. So
2: 2009, I think there wasn't Kickstarter. There really wasn't Patreon. Um, we're just moving out of where everyone was freaking out about how many MySpace plays they had. We were just talking about <laughs> that at right, the right, practice right. last yeah. night. Yeah. Like And there's always going to be that thing, right? I mean, we were talking about Patreon earlier. It's like there's always going to be that number to compare yourself to. And later right. on, you look back and you find out a lot of those bands on MySpace were paying for bot plays and stuff. Yeah. But but literally, like in 2007, 2008, every indie band was so worried about their MySpace plays because everyone thought they were going to get signed at the label, randomly looked at their thing. So yeah. I was starting to not buy any of that bullshit anymore. And I was just like, well, let me just try to put out another project. And, you know, we didn't go into the big studio where I normally do my records because it was an experiment. You know, Kirby Crackle was an experiment to see how that would work. So the first record was done at my home studio on GarageBand. Mm. And so that's where I demo a lot of my stuff still today. But it was, you know, it was electronic drums. It wasn't real drums. I played everything on the record. Uh, since then, you know, our, our, our dudes in our band play their own parts and stuff. But, um, yeah, as far as technology goes, it was really just like me in my studio for two months, uh, fleshing that out.
0: God, isn't it amazing that anybody, anybody could do that, especially now, like in 2009, it was much harder. Yeah. But now the, the technologies that exist, a lot of them for free, make it so that anybody could just go into their bedroom, you know, throw some, some heavy blankets and mattresses on the wall to, to make a decent acoustic and just go to town.
2: It's super cool. I mean, it's, and it's interesting how the coolness level and kind of the not coolest level on both ends have risen and fallen where you can, like you said, you can do anything you want. I can, and I have before, I literally gone on, done a song that day, put it up that afternoon and either for free or selling it and it's kind of out there. And that's just an amazing, amazing time we live in. The downside is that anyone and their mom can do that. So what you're doing now is you're fighting through so much more, you know,
1: noise. Yeah, the marketplace is Noise, meaning flooded, so many right, people right.
2: Are, are able to do it. Sure. So it, it's the same thing in comics now. Too. I was just going to say uh, that yeah, that, yeah. that
1: sounds like the webcomic story to a T. In other words, it, we had this time when everybody could, could get through and, and you weren't stopped <clears throat> by a syndicate or a publisher. Uh, but the bad news is, is that now if somebody's going to find you, they're going to wade through a lot of crap before they come anywhere near your
2: stuff. I, exactly, and the and the thing I was referring to earlier about the music industry going through some things before comics, and then vice versa is, you know, when all of a sudden iTunes decided every song is ninety nine cents. That's, yeah, that's kind of every every musician you know there was a time when we were all like my music's not worth 99 cents that song you know there's 15 songs on this record that's 15 dollars and now itunes no matter how many songs are on your record they make it for 9.99 so a couple of years later it was really interesting seeing you guys and how you guys adjusted when when Comicsology was like hey this this is how much a comic is worth right or 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 the the individual PDF downloads that were happening, and seeing a lot of the same kind of conversations happen, but I mm-hmm. feel like you guys adjusted to it a lot earlier and were a lot cooler with it than the musicians first were.
0: So what what is the trick then for you at of getting through the masses? Like, is it just is it the old adage of the cream is going to rise to the top, and you're just going to make the best possible product and you're going to get the listeners, or is there uh, you know some other trick to it? You know, I, th- I think if there is a, is a trick, I
2: want to know the trick, <laughs> 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 as I'm sure every independent artist does, but it's, you know, it's it's a day-to-day, for me, it's a day-to-day adjustment to what the climate of, of, of comics and music is together. I, I feel very fortunate that I'm kind of in the middle of these two things, where I don't need to totally lean on the traditional music industry form, and because I'm comic book rock, you know, nerd rock. I don't have the opportunity to do everything that that comic people do. And sometimes, you know, I wish that I was like, man, if I just did comics, this would be a lot easier. But we kind of have our (laughs) own, I can't draw back to why I started writing songs. So um, to me, Twitter is a big thing. And to me, the personal connection with fans is a big thing. And the past year, Patreon has become very valuable to me in terms of engaging my core, core audience. Um, You know, we write, we do albums every year, year and a half. Um, And what Patreon has allowed me to do is release more kind of relevant songs to the very, very current times that we live in month to month in terms of what songs I put out and the subject matter that I choose to involve. Mm
0: -hmm. Does that feel like, almost like a proving ground for your tracks? I mean, like you're making songs and putting them out based on relevant things that are happening. And if a song doesn't take off or if it doesn't feel like it's going to go anywhere, do you just leave that off the next album?
2: Well, our deal with the, uh, our, our, Patreon patrons is we say, okay, these are exclusive to you guys. So, you know, it's exclusive meaning this recording you're getting is exclusive to you guys. For example, we released and when guardians of the galaxy came out, I was, I was just amazed there were no dancing baby Groot figures out there or anything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what a huge missed opportunity and so I was like, I'm going to do a Dancing Baby Groot song. So we did that. And then that recording is exclusive to them. We went ahead for the new album and did a whole different recording and arrangement. So, so you know, stuff like, like.
0: They're getting the early
2: stuff. They're getting the early stuff, yeah. But, they're, but no one will ever get that exact thing that they have. That's cool. So, you know, stuff that I don't want to put on a record, but I think would be a fun thing to do, I did last month, like, you know, the hosier song, Take Me to Church. Uh, we did a period, we did a parody called, uh, take me to brunch. And so <laughs> that was really fun, but like, I don't want to put that on a record, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. And, and what, what I'm seeing here that that's neat is that you have branded your Patreon, not so much as support the work that I'm doing as this is your fan club, which has, which is something that's particularly for music. Has this kind of extended background? People know what a fan club is for uh, a band, you know. Uh, and you're you're kind of co-opting that idea of a fan club and saying this Patreon is that. Uh, where did you get that idea?
2: You know, it was I had seen a lot of people, you know, like you guys have done Kickstarters, and, and a lot of people have done Kickstarters very successfully. But for me, I kind of had the the thought that we'd done our albums independently for so long that. It just felt a little weird for me to then try to engage people on that on that level. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say we never will, but at the time it didn't feel right to me. And Patreon came along, and kind of an ongoing conversation is what I enjoy about our our fan base um, itself. So to me, Patreon felt like an ongoing conversation. And it's interesting when I when I did the the, the Kirby Crackle Music Fan Club on Patreon, they contacted me and they were like, "Hey, so." this isn't meant to be kind of like a paywall thing. You know, like this this isn't who, meant... Who, who contacted you? Well, well, I wrote them asking about like, hey, so I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do just different things I was trying to figure out. And they go, yeah, I guess you could do that. I mean, we never meant for this to be kind of like a, 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 an access only kind of thing. This is more to support what you're already doing. But they said some other people were also starting to use it as kind of like a, a, a if you want if you want these exclusive things, you have to join the Patreon. So, right. so they're not, they weren't anti, but they kind of made it clear like, Hey, it's kind of like not our first choice, but we can't control what people do. So Ooh. I thought that was interesting because to me, it felt like a, like I thought most people would be doing
0: that. Well, because they give you the option. Yeah. is this a patron only thing or exactly, you know, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I think when, when Jack and company originally started it, the whole idea was like, look, we're already putting this content out. Yeah. You know, and it was you can tell just by the way it's built that it was built for people who were basically putting content out on YouTube. Yes. Um mm-hmm. and you know what what I think is cool about new technologies like this is people like us come in and we find all these crazy new ways to use it that I think are are often far outside the intended use. And uh I think that's cool. I think it's fun. I think it gives these guys, you know, who are making it uh, these guys and gals will be like, "Oh wow, we never thought it would be used for that, and now it is. Yeah. That's cool."
2: Yeah, you're totally right, man. It's like hu- humans will figure out ways. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, we done figured out the ways. Done figured out the ways. Uh, so, so you start this band <clears throat> in 2009. You're you're in your your home studio doing this stuff, and then uh, the the clear expansion was you started doing shows at conventions, right? At comic conventions.
2: Yeah, we started doing shows at comic conventions. Um, and no one really knew what to do with us because they go, okay, wait, you're a, you're a band? Okay, does that mean you want to play somewhere? Oh, God. You know, that kind of thing. Right, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I think up until that point, and it still happens today, that bands would just see Comic Cons as a big group of people to play my music to, whether right. or not you're right. writing songs about the culture or not. Like, I totally get that. I totally understand it. That's fine. But I think a lot of conventions have been burned in the past by that. And and not have good ex, a good experience. So so for me and still today approaching new conventions who you know haven't heard of us or haven't had a concert that kind of thing, I have to kind of like hold their hand through oh, the process. Yeah. And say it's like, an
1: okay, it's a it's an unfamiliar set of logistics for them too. Totally, totally.
2: Like I'll show up to conventions. And I have to make it very clear because they'll say, "Oh, we have a mic stand for you," and it's literally the little table mic with three. And yeah, five. <laughs> like <laughs> like that kind of thing. So now. So now, when I have buddies in town, I'm like, "Hey, can you just bring a mic stand in case? Because there's there's no right. There's no guarantee there's going to be anything there. That kind of thing. So, so still six years later, it's it's very much like that. But it that makes it an adventure too.
0: There's been a a, a lot of talk on the interwebs lately about talking about financials. And, you know, what's, you know, basically, what's your salary? You know, everyone will do better if we all talk about how much we earn or what, you know, what we do or that kind of thing. So, yeah. you know, uh, in that same regard, my question to you is, uh, are you able to pay the bills with Kirby Crackle? I mean, are you, obviously, you're doing this beer thing, too, but it sounds like that is, a, is also a creative outlet. So, before the beer thing, I mean, were you working as a barista somewhere or uh, driving a cab? trying to think of other music-related jobs. Were you a roadie for some (laughs) major band while between albums for your band? Yeah, that's a good question, man. Um, Well,
2: before, you know, throughout my teen years and early 20s when I was doing music with Lamest Terms, I would work, you know, Starbucks. I worked at Experience Music Project downtown, the Rock and Roll Museum. Um, Just, you know, odds and ends stuff like anyone. And uh, before Kirby Crackle, a couple years before, I picked up a gig as a... Uh, a, kind of like a jingle writer guy A little bit Where I worked for a company And I would put kind of songs in their bank To which to shop around So that's how I kind of paid the bills like, <laughs> wait, 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 wait,
0: wait, wait, back up, back up, back up yeah. This is a company that. And when you say songs in the bank Because I've heard of companies like this before I've never met someone who, who works for them I'm very yeah. excited about this, you don't understand <laughs> So your job was to write songs for products That did not necessarily exist yet In case a product came along That they could then sell to
2: well, it was a film company, yeah. It was a film company and, and what they did is they said, Okay, you know, they they would make it so I could pay the bills and then I would have them own a certain percentage of my material. And so, for example, if it you know there were many irons in the fire as the years went on, so all of a sudden if they sold a song and it went gangbusters, their investment in me paid off in the end
1: because then they would get all that.
2: So did so you get never, a royalty off of that, or did you just I, I get would, paid up
1: front and then walk away?
2: Uh, I would get kind of like a salary, and then they would get, I would get, excuse me, I would get a royalty when and if they sold that song.
0: Wow. And this was not Kirby Crackle songs, these were just songs you were writing. Correct. And was it, and was it musical, or, or was it uh, lyrical?
2: It was lyrical. It would be like, hey, we need, we're need. we doing this movie about uh, a wedding company in Hawaii, and so I would have to kind of like not do a Jack Johnson impression, but I would say, like, okay, what kind of song would go good in this, in this movie or in this show? Coffee and I and nuts, would, and I would Coffee do
0: plants, lots of ocean weddings in Hawaii. And then, and then they would just own it.
2: They and would if own they a percentage ever sold it.
0: it yeah. Right. And if they ever, wow. and if the film, if a film ever used it, then you would get, and then you would get paid.
2: Correct. And they would get paid.
1: <laughs> That's tremendous.
2: Yeah, but that's, that's not going on anymore. That worked for a while and then ended up not working, and that's when kind of the beard thing and, and Kirby Cracken took over.
0: So uh, I, I think this is fascinating, and I, I'll tell you, uh, I think that a lot of times people, when they're songwriters or, uh, you know, or they're writing comics or they're drawing or whatever, it's a muscle, right? So yeah. like, I think that, that writing lyrics, uh, especially rhyming lyrics, is a muscle. You've got to work it. And that job probably did wonders for you. Am I, am I off the mark or was that like amazing? Um, it did. It was really hard to start with.
2: And then it got better as Kirby Crackle got more records out. I mean the first couple records. And I was kind of exercising that muscle and seeing kind of a reward from exercising it. So everything mm-hmm. kind of started spinning in on itself. I mean, it was right around the time when I read this article from Ryan Adams, who I'm a big fan of. And that guy has like 800 songs, right? And they're not all good. And he'll be the first one to tell you they're not all good. But he <laughs> says, I got, but you got to keep exercising, as I'm sure you got to do with drawing and stuff. I know when I don't exercise, I can feel it. Like, just the feeling of being rusty, especially yeah. playing, playing live, is my nightmare. Like, that to me is so embarrassing for whatever reason. If my voice goes out at a show, that to me is like the worst thing ever. I might as well just have no clothes on. kind of, um, but so it's up to me to, to keep those muscles, you know, exercised. both in writing, you know, I, I hate running, but I make myself run like five days a week because I know if I don't, I'm going to be out of breath at a show like that kind of thing. So
0: yeah, you're trying to increase your breath capacity.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And just be in shape and, 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 you know, not look fatigued on stage or just give people the best show they can because as an independent musician i feel like when i'm in in front of somebody i have to do the very best i can do i have to give an arena level show or my version of what
1: that is to my ability because i'm competing with everybody absolutely now now in terms of being independent and signing with a label if a label came around and offered you a contract is that something that is uh, a long-term goal or are you like being independent? It's where it's at. It's a, it's a benefit to me. Which, which side of that do you you come down on? Do you
0: even feel like you need it anymore? You know, you need it. If you care about
2: getting your records to a lot of people physically, and we all know how stores are changing. Like Best Buy doesn't even really have a CD section anymore. It's like very small and it's stuff from like 2003 and before just trying to clean out their warehouses or whatever. But, um, the only way a record label would appeal to me is if they could let me do more of what I'm doing now in the way that I want to do it but with the financial backing and the distribution.
0: Right. Because it's the, it's the distro, right? It's the
2: distro and it's the touring because touring, you know, I can put out music all day and on a, on my computer or whatever, but the touring thing is really hard because, you know, we're on the West Coast and Stuff is forever apart over here and and gas is expensive and that kind of thing i mean that's the that's the nut we still have yet to crack in terms of finding out how that works well for us
0: do you think that's still the the model though like do you really think that you still need to hit the road and tour for you know for the exposure when you've got you know you've got the web now and it's like it, you just put it out and you put it up and then and then see what happens with it?
2: Yeah. I mean, you don't have to tour. I mean, we're, we're kind of weird. We're weird, obviously, but like our, our, our business, our business model is, is insulated from a lot of what's happening in the other parts of the music industry. Whereas we sell physical CDs still. Really? Yeah. And a lot of bands don't. And, and that's because, you know, obviously people get stuff online and, and I do, and I understand totally how that works. But, you know, our people, us, our fans, our nerds and geeks, and we like the, the tactile, physical thing. So we have people that will buy the record online, but they're like, hey, I've had this record for a year, but I want the physical copy just because I want it. You know, kind of wow. like the trade paperbacks. Kind Well, of. yeah. So so I feel very fortunate that, that people still want the physical product for us, and that helps us, you know, tour and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, touring... It's not necessary, I think, for us to keep doing what we're doing. It's necessary for a lot of other people to keep doing what they're doing if they're not selling physical CDs.
1: So interesting. Yeah, well, it, 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 see, I, it, it's so funny that we're as surprised as we are because think about the the, the money that the, the tent pole for what what you and I do, Corey, in terms of how many how much of our stuff is printed books. Of stuff that people have already read online, and it's always amazed me that that works, but it does. And this is yeah. basically the same thing. Yeah, and and yeah. yet, I'm seeing it in a different light, and it's like that's amazing that that works. But uh, it, it's been a part <laughs> of my life for 15 years now. Yeah, yeah. it's it's interesting.
0: And I'll get comicsology
2: issues, you know, and I'll do that for the easy access when I'm touring. I don't want to lug a bunch of books around with me. But yeah. the comic, but comic cons, I'll go up to you know anyone's booth and be like, hey, I want that book i know i like that i want the the physical representation in my house
1: you want that archival experience yeah yeah
2: yeah and that still counts for something i mean obviously i you know what i think is is really interesting with this record is we've had more demand for vinyl than i've ever had in the past five years Tell,
0: tell us about your new record and tell us about about these physical things that you're doing for it
2: yeah so you know we don't have vinyl coming out yet that's you know, the cost on vinyl is huge still. just It's like five grand to print up 400 vinyl, wow. like that kind of thing. That's yeah, crazy. so that's that's pretty nuts. But people, you know, the the model of putting out a, uh, a physical record and then having a download code in that is appealing to myself and a lot of people because unless you're a Kirby Crackle fan that wants the physical thing to collect the Food art or the lyrics, you're going to put it in your car or you're going to download it to your computer and then put it in a drawer somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, so that's really interesting. Um, so the, the new record is called Mutate Baby. And it's our fifth record. It was recorded uh, throughout 2014 over a span of, I'd say, like nine months, which is different because before what we had done is we had worked up all our songs and then we'd go in and do it all in two weeks. And, and everyone kind of basically voted me out on that saying, we don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> like, it's, it's super stressful. It's a, lot, it's a time crunch. But what we got out of that was also the ability to not take forever on a record and kind of have like an immediacy sound, you know, like I assume like doing a, doing a comic in a couple of weeks versus, you know, uh, not throwing anyone under the bus, but image United, right. Or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of bands do that. Like they'll take a year or two to do a record and they'll say, okay, just put the damn thing out already. And everyone's kind of moved on from the songs 2014 was kind of a rebranding year for us and kind of sitting down and saying, okay, what do we want to do? Obviously, we're a band that writes songs about comics, video games, things that are awesome. That's kind of our our tag. But we wanted to dive deeper into the arrangement process and try to come up with some different sounds that we hadn't done before. There's a lot of um, electronic kind of additional stuff on this record. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was kind of inspired to me uh, by... Just kind of what was happening in pop music in terms of rhythms and stuff like there's a lot of a lot of what i feel and hope people think are interesting rhythms in the guitars that aren't necessarily riffs but everything's sounding good when it's put together we're kind of like nothing sounds that interesting on its own but the blending of it i feel like raises what we're trying to do to the next level um there's a song on there called like the day my powers arrived about a mutant mm-hmm realizing his or her abilities and then not just oh I'm awesome now but kind of like the fear and the unknown that goes with that and and people like you know the x-men or the avengers coming and saying like hey it's going to be okay we'll be here with you and kind of how that ties into our connection of wanting to be more connected as a society as technology expands and was supposed to bring us more together which it has it's also kind of pulled us apart
0: yeah so it's, it's nitified everyone it's mm-hmm. nicheified
2: everyone totally. So, I'm coining you know, that name by the, the
0: way. TM TM me. What was that? I'm I'm coining that trademark. Me. You're coining it. Coy, Corey. I want to see Niche-fied. a shirt at
2: Emerald City Comic Con with that. I'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, like there's a there's another song called "Geek Culture Is Dead," which which like if I was a Kirby Crackle fan and I looked at it, I'd be like, "What the hell?" That's like these guys' whole thing, but it's not talking about me saying geek culture is that it's responding to other people saying it because it's been in some ways homogenized
0: into pop culture now.
1: Yeah. And like so, Corey has said a number of times on this show, geek culture has become pop culture. It's the same it's, thing. It's now. just not yep. geek culture anymore. It's,
0: it, well, you know, we call it geek culture because it was for us when we grew up. Yeah. But Now it's it is pop culture. It's it's that's normal. You know, Big Bang Theory is the number one show on television. It's like that's Everyone is used to this stuff now.
2: Yep. Yeah. yep. And then what does that mean? You know, like where do we, what I want to explore on this record is where do we go from that when your thing, like your jam that you so identified with personally and that's me and that's what separates me from these other people I don't feel like I belong to, when it belongs to everyone, like what does that do for you? You know, do we do we do what was done to, you know, in a cliche, us growing up where dudes who are really into sports or whatever thought we're a bunch of nerds and why aren't we liking that stuff. When those guys want to talk to us about this thing that was such a part of our identity, how do we respond to that? Do we, you know, hopefully not interact with them how they did to us, but you know, it's an opportunity to kind of raise the bar and include everybody.
1: Yeah.
0: I like it personally, but yeah, I, I have a lot I have a lot more nerdy people to talk to about nerdy stuff. And yeah. So <laughs> It's only good, I think, but you know a lot of people
2: bitch about it all the time, and so it was kind of it's kind of a commentary on that and kind of saying like, you know, how how do you become the best version of yourself as a geek in 2015, with the fact that this is happening everywhere?
0: Yeah. Oh man, interesting.
1: Well, yeah, that's a really interesting thought. I, I was just letting that sink in. How how do you become the best geek that you can be?
0: You're the best. Yeah. Alright. No,
1: that's you, that's all I can
0: sing because we'll will be charged. You play uh, you play an A bar chord at
2: 157 beats per minute for four and a half minutes, and throw some lyrics on there, and hopefully that's <laughs> hopefully we did it.
0: Kyle, we have uh, we have five questions that we ask every guest, and I would like yes, to sir. ask you these questions, and uh, and don't feel that there's no right or wrong answer. It's it's whatever comes to your mind when I ask it of you. All right, are you ready? Yes. Question the first. Uh, define for us success.
2: You know, I, I struggle with that one often, but I heard something the other day that really worked well. That's kind of my MO now. And, and for me right now today, success is being able to do what you love and, and support yourself to a degree with that and have the opportunity to even have a community and, and people interested in doing what you do.
0: I got to tell you, we've been getting that answer a lot lately, and it makes me, it just fills my heart with joy every time somebody says that. It feels good, because right? I felt so I, good when I heard that. Every time
1: Corey asked that question, I expect to hear things about you know money, a, a level of money, a level of, of you know, and, and obviously that plays into it. But uh, uh, you know, what we keep hearing is it's really uh, it, liberty, it, it's the ability to do what you want to do and not to have that dictated to you and it's something that a lot of us i'm sure it, it take for granted in other words I, I there are days i guarantee you i don't feel very successful even yes. though my life fits very much that definition that i personally agree with as well but i but i don't see it because i'm so busy trying to make this thing happen. And I'm, I'm busy looking at somebody else's Patreon and wondering why my number isn't that big. Like we were talking at the beginning. And, and, but yet at, if if, if, it, by any other metric that I'm still living a very successful life, I just, I, I, I personally lose track of it all the time.
0: I think that, that what you just described, Brad, is like comparing Levels of success to other people when success should be an internal, personal thing. I, I really think that is something that happens a lot more than it used to because of, of us being able to see each other on the net. And, uh, and yeah. I, I, I think it's the bane of all success. I think that you could be successful <laughs> and not even realize it because you're too busy comparing yourself.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's absolutely true.
2: I totally agree. And I think if you asked me that in my early 20s, I would say something very different. Uh, And I don't know if you guys feel like this, but as time goes on and you see, you know, I see people in the in the music industry drop out of bands or like, oh, I used to do music. Now I got kids, though. and I got to do this or, you know, I don't have kids, so I can't say that's a total definite good reason to quit. But I heard someone who did have kids say that's bullshit because your kids need to be able to see that you can do this.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, know, I mean,
0: Brad and I both have kids and it's yeah. Uh, that's, not the, that's not the reality at all. You know, it's, it's, not that it's, it's not that it's not hard, because it is.
1: Yeah, But if, if
0: the thing that you're doing, if you truly love the thing that you're doing, you figure it out, you know? You figure mm-hmm. out how to make it work, and, and you go with it.
1: Well, I've had that, con- I've had that conversation uh, tons of times on different podcasts, so I won't go all the way into it. But o- only to say, in case this is a road that you do walk down at some point, Mm-hmm. is that all of the men in your life, all the other guys, are going to tell you, if you once you decide to have kids that your life is over. And, it, and, and for me it really got very depressing mm-hmm. a, until one dad uh, pulled me aside and said, listen, these guys are all full of, of, of crap. This is the way it really is. And uh, once my kids started coming into the world, uh, it, it was the exact opposite. I, I'm more charged up now because I get to share that with
0: yeah. them.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know? cool, I, I, it, it's not a, an encumbrance. It, it's it's if anything, it's buoyancy. You know, because because now I, I I talk about all this stuff with them, and they're interested. Whereas my wife has long since stopped being so. But these <laughs> these guys are still fascinated by daddy being a cartoonist, you know? And, That's and, awesome. and when that finally melts away, I'll be very sad and miss it. But uh, having kids was not a, 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 an, a, an impedance to creativity and, and being a creative professional. It was just, it, it, in fact, it was something that was just the opposite.
2: That's really good to hear, man. And I mean, as you guys know, as artists, we compare ourselves to people all the time. It's just what we do. It's our weird artist thing. As much as we tell ourselves we're not going to, we're good at it sometimes better than others, right? Mm-hmm. But, but it's, I, I kind of did this thing recently where when I get down, I have this list. And it says, like, here's why everything's okay. Like, number one, you were born in an area where everyone's not trying to kill you. Okay, number <laughs> <two. laughs>
1: like, like, let let's, let's get the bronze strokes out of the way first, <laughs> okay, right. you're not number one, you're second in the cover. universe, and no
2: one cares either way. Number two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> number two, you have five people that really like what you do. you know, like this, this kind of thing, and I like, think mm-hmm. some days I'm better at reading that than others. someday I'm like, I don't read this piece of shit, but, <laughs> but what I, when I feel, I feel better after I do. So um, yeah, that's kind of the success thing, I think.
0: Tell us, uh, uh, tell us about your greatest failure.
2: Greatest failure. I think, hmm, that's a good question. Uh, first thing that comes to mind is not being able to enjoy the moment kind of in the stuff that we're talking about as a younger dude. Like, oh. I think I was too serious about things that didn't really matter, like messing up on a chorus and a show like I, that would bother me like for a week mm-hmm. and really who cares? You know, but it's like I just cared so much and I didn't see the grand picture of like, you know, no one's going home worrying about did you mess up on that chorus or your voice went exactly. out on a show. I yeah. mean, I used to get super bummed out when my voice would go out. I was having issues like in my early 20s. And it happened again at Crackle Fest one time, our, our big Emerald City Comic Con show that we do. And I was like, what am I going to do? And the fans kind of sang everything for me, kind of back at me. Really? And it, and it just like it kind of makes me like get emotional. I think about it because it was such it was something that kind of carried a weight with throughout my life about oh no messing up on stage. But then I'm like okay no people people don't care people yeah. people support what you do and and if I wish I knew that earlier on I think I would have
1: <laughs> saved myself a lot of stress.
0: God ah, that's that uh that's good I like that.
1: I think people get live performance more than we give them credit for getting it. You know what I mean? I think they know what's at stake and what the risk is. And they know that sometimes things don't go the way you had it planned. And that's just why they showed up in the first place.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And they're like, how the hell do you even do that in the first place? Yeah. Kind of a lot of times, you know, like, like with drawing and stuff like that. Like, I'm sure you've done drawing and you said, ah, oh, God, I'm not happy with this head. And they're like, what? That just looks like magic. I don't even know how you did that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kyle, what's your process? Um, Process, it's changed. Currently, it's just kind of walking around with a weird kind of melody in my head or a a lyric that I just kind of say and see if it makes kind of my inner circle guys laugh, you know, just off the cuff. Um, I used to sit down and really try to say, okay, I'm going to write a song about this. Now it's just kind of whatever happens. Like if if I give into the flow often, I feel much better about what I come up with, like, okay, this might not be my best idea today, but let's just run through it because it might end up like a piece of crap or it might end up the best thing on the record. And that's kind of what happened with one of our new songs on our record. It was a song that I I liked musically, but all the guys were kind of like about, and it was the last one to receive lyrics and a melody. But one day I was in the shower and I just had the melody and I played it for the guys, and they're like, boom, best song on the record, done. Like that. <laughs> that's it's done. Just, cr- just craziness stuff. And it's, and maybe you guys feel like this too, but you know, when we did one of our, our most loved fan songs called Ring Capacity about Green Lantern, it's, that was written in 10 minutes. And it's really basic, and I didn't really think it was that great, but it was a fun Green Lantern song. And still five years later, people are like, I like this new record, but that's still the best you know, that kind of thing. And no matter what I do, I don't think it's going to beat that for people because it's one of those time and place things. And, you know, I was kind of going through like some, I was going through a divorce at the time. So I think maybe like some weird kind of things sunk in there, like emotionally to connect with people. I don't know. I believe in that kind of stuff. Like whenever you're going through
1: weird stuff and if you make art, that's usually, I think the thing that sticks for people. Mm-hmm.
0: That's cool, man.
1: How important is that sometimes though? Cuz I I'm I'm my kid's school wants me to, this Friday to come up and talk about creativity. Just creativity as a topic. And how important is that sometimes for you Kyle to take an idea that isn't necessarily what you think is a, it's the opposite of the, of the ring capacity, right? It's, it's, it's like that, the, the earlier one you were talking about where it's like, nah, it, it's, it's not like a gangbusters idea, but I want to follow it through. I want to see how well I can execute it. Uh, how important is it sometimes to just take And I, not, not to wait for the killer idea, but to take something and to do it to the best of your ability and find where it takes you. I used
2: to not care about that, but especially Mm -hmm. on this past record and the one before, I've seen how doing that can lead to cooler things that that you wouldn't have thought of or weird. Like, you know, I'll be doing a riff sometimes and I'm like, let's keep playing this or go to this chorus and then say maybe I'll turn around and look at my phone ringing and I'll put my hand in a weird place or I miss a chord half a fret off or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'll go, oh, that's pretty awesome. (laughs) Those happy accidents. Like, whoa, that's weird. Like you know, like oh shit! Now how would I do that? <laughs> you know, right, right, that, right kind of thing. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's it just gets better as I get o- older. I feel like, and and again, coming back to the thing of a lot of stuff that I really discounted in my earlier years, I now find of a lot of value.
1: What uh, what's your trick?
2: A trick? Uh, it's kind of like. On this record was the first thing that came to my head, kind of. Where everyone says sit down and write your lyrics and like spend a lot of time on them and go leave and come back the day later or whatever. My, I think my best stuff is just when I do it. I just go like, Ugh. and like it's a, <laughs> it's it's just an emotion, kind of. I, I I feel like at least for Kirby Crackle, what I'm learning is the thing that connects with people is is when it's an emotion encapsulated and like three minutes and 50 seconds and it's said in a way that will stick in your head and i I find more often than not if i'm convinced about it more than other people will be like Mm. it's like almost like a confidence will come through almost and connect with people sure i I believe in that stuff more and more man as the years go on like (laughs) there's so much you know we talk about noise or whatever out there it's like everything isn't made for everybody kirby crackle isn't made for everybody brad geiger Patreon stuff isn't made for everybody, but this, but the stuff that you do, I believe will connect with the people that it's supposed to connect with.
0: It's going to reach its intended audience, especially, especially in this day and age, you don't even have to try as hard anymore. You have all these resources.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, if for me, like the biggest thing lately is if like a little kid comes up to a convention and he's like, oh, here's a YouTube video of me playing. I want to live in a world full of heroes or something like that. I'm like, come on, man. Like, that's <laughs> that's badass. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing, like, I hope, like, if Kirby Crackle was done today or, like, both my hands were gone or something, I could say, like, okay, that happened. You know, that kind <laughs> of, like, little, little successes like that to me mean more. Yeah. Over time.
0: All right, question the last. Yes. Give us one piece of advice.
2: One piece of advice: Um, Just make some noise. Kind of do your do your art, do some music, and you know, kind of like we were talking about, just get weird and try to try to find that thing that only you can do.
1: I like that. I do too. I like I like the uh, try to do the thing that only you can do.
0: Yeah, that might be my that might be my favorite piece of advice is just, just kind of go and do something.
1: And because so many of us try to find the thing that somebody else is doing that we can do as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, we try yeah. to mimic success, so we're trying to do something that somebody else has already succeeded at. Whereas what Kyle's saying is do the thing that only you can do. Even if you don't think it's particularly cool, because how many times have we seen somebody doing something that nobody else has done before? That's not, you would never, I I always use Kate Beaton, but she's the perfect example of this. Who would have thought that comics about history would be as popular as they are? Nobody would have chosen that, but she, she can do it better than anyone else can do it. And so that's why she's Kate Beaton. Yeah. It's like, what is, is, ladies and gentlemen? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Like
2: what is, what is the weird and. And I'm still trying to find that. I mean, everyone, I think everyone's always trying to find that, and that changes as time goes on, right? But what is what is the thing that is your unique thing to say, or that you see in retrospect yeah. as your unique thing to say? Like, that's what really, like, I get off on lately. Like, just, like, what is, what is like, unique, unique art? Because we all know when we see it, right? Like, someone like Freddie Mercury or a band comes out, and you're like, well, I've never heard that. Or all yeah. of a sudden, someone comes out, it's really positive, and you think, like, well, shit, how do they Like how they find that? What is that? But they don't know. That's just them,
0: right? I think the key to this is to do the thing you can do, even if somebody else has done it, and then figure out how you make it your own thing. Does that make Make sense? Make it
1: exactly. Yeah, you know, it's
0: not not like it's not like Kate went. Just since we're using Kate as an example, it's not like Kate went. uh, Well, nobody else has ever cartooned before. Right. Or or even nobody else has ever cartooned history before because, I mean, every cartoonist in The New Yorker essentially is just making a cartoon about something that happened, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, in doing that, I think she found the way to make it her own space, make it her own thing.
1: You no, know? I think you're so, absolutely through, right. Through
0: application, eventually it, it sort of came out. And I think you can go back and look at her really early work and sort of see her uh, not fumbling through, but like really... Maybe maybe this, maybe that, and you just kind of try different things until it's like, all right, now you hit the thing that that only you can do. It's not it's not that there's not other nerd rock bands out there, but mm-hmm. you guys have have with Kirby Crackle have struck on something that really only you guys pull together.
2: Well, hopefully, yeah, hopefully it continues and try to try to nurture that that thing and like the exercise the muscle. You know, it's and it's also like you know guys like Pearl Jam or Soundgarden. I always really enjoy their their new albums when they come out. They do stuff that kind of talks about what it was like making that record. And and as the years go on more and more they say that they're like you just got to do it. You just got to find your thing and it, and it's harder to find as you get older and other distractions come in, but like mm-hmm. at the core of your essence of an artist, like you have that thing. You know, like you're you're made of starlight. You have you have the you in there somewhere.
0: Got a little Carl Sagan on me there for a minute.
2: I know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that, I
2: mean, that's how I feel like a lot about, you know, when I met you, Corey, with Oni and stuff. Like, that's how I feel like a lot of those books kind of came out.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, because, you know, they're, they're all creator owned. So it's sort of like whatever, it, you know, whatever the, the creator was into. And was it an interesting idea? Was it something, uh, you know, the, the, the folks at Oni do really interesting things with a very specific purpose. Um, you know, the same with image in a lot of ways. It's like you have we're fortunate now to be in a time of comic of uh, of comicdom where uh publishing houses are willing to take risks on the creators. They're willing to back a creator and say, you know, go out, do your thing. That's the you know, who knows? Maybe it yeah. works, mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't. Whatever. Make it work. Figure it out. And you yeah, know, and, like, and oh. if you don't go brew some beer.
2: Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oni to me feels like, you know, just the vibe that I get off them all these years is it reminds me of record companies in the 70s where it's like, okay, make your first record. And we're not expecting it to be a huge smash, but if it is cool, but like they're nurturing people.
0: Yeah, right?
2: Yeah. Sort and I of, think that's awesome. I think comics
0: still has that in a lot of ways. That's why you see a lot of um, you see a lot of new creators start at Oni and then move on to another company. So like mm-hmm. they, it's like they cut their teeth there. And mm-hmm. then they and then they you know and then they go somewhere else. Uh, to to tie it back into like a, a record label thing, uh, are you familiar with Four AD, like an old British label? Oh, I've heard
2: of that, but I don't know who's on there.
0: Uh, exactly, like all kinds of totally <laughs> weird, obscure, um, absolutely bizarre uh, bands, and uh-huh. they're great. They're super great, uh, and they've kind of had a Four AD's kind of had a resurgence recently because they've had some some you know bands with some radio hits. Uh, But yeah, man, I I think that uh, I think that there's no better time for anyone who has any level or spark of creativity in them to go out and to do something and to share it with the world and not worry about, you know, whether or not it's going to it's going to be successful or pay the bills or whatever. Mm -hmm. Just just go. You know, if you're if you're an accountant and you you really love painting minis or something like that, then paint minis and put them post them online and let us let people see. And don't read the comments.
2: Yeah, don't read the <laughs> comments. <laughs> People at these panels we do, they're like, how do I do a nerd rock band? And I'm still trying to figure out a way to say this without sounding dickish because it's not my intent.
1: You and i just I'm, go and do
2: it. I, I say, I, it's, like, it's like the only difference between you and me is that I'm just doing it. Like right. once you're doing it, you're doing it.
0: Yeah, I, like, I, know, I know a lot of writers and I, I hear that a lot, especially with writing and writing prose. People are like, well, you know, they'll, they'll be writing hundreds of thousands of words of fan fiction." And then they'll say, you know, how do I be a, how do I become a writer? They'll go up to you know Patrick Rothfuss or something. How do I become a writer? Yeah, and it's like you already are. Just now, all you have to do is write your own characters. You're already right. writing your own stories. You just go and do it. You just mm-hmm. you just pick up a pen and become a writer. You're already being a writer. But really, what I mean, I think what the question that people are trying to ask is, how do I become a published fill in the blank? How do I sign yeah. to a label? How do I make money doing that? And that's a whole different. Conversation. Fortunately you have this podcast. Keep tuning in every week.
2: <laughs> uh, how do I have a table at a Comic Con? Kind of right, like the yeah, visual yeah, the exactly, visual representation
0: exactly. of what they think that is. But uh, well tell us uh release date of your album and all the, the goodies before we wrap up.
2: Yeah, we uh so it's coming out Tuesday, um, March seventeenth. I'm really excited about it. Um, I think it's our best thing yet. My mom says it is, so that's all <laughs> I need
0: to know. What did hey. she say that before after she had the charting hippo?
2: Uh, she doesn't drink beer. She's like, I, "Honey, I don't like this. This is gross." <laughs> my, my, a little too far. My dad likes it. the beer. My mom likes the music. So, <laughs> 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 so yeah, we uh, it's coming out and and kind of nervous about it. So I know that's a good thing because I wasn't really I was nervous for the past couple records. So I think that means this means it's different. Um, and then uh, kind of doing a tie-in in Seattle with Charging Hippo and the new Kirby Crackle record. We have. Uh, well, our fans are called Crackleheads. Uh, they let us call them that. They didn't like Crackheads, so we had to change it <laughs> to Crackleheads. And so we have uh, the first ever kind of Charging Hippo, Kirby Crackle collaboration coming out um, in four different bars. Uh, and uh, the first 20 people that order a pint get a copy of the new CD Hey!
0: Nice. and they can get that information at uh, kirbycrackle.com
2: yep yep on our twitter um, yeah everything our patreon all our, all our music all our shirts everything's at kirbycracklemusic.com
0: mutate baby March 17th. mutate baby
2: <laughs> thank you so much
0: Kyle I mean it's really been a pleasure talking to you
2: you too man I haven't seen you guys for a while and it's great to talk to you and I'm just I'm amped up about creativity man like I'm amped right now
0: are you surviving it?
2: I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go deliver a bunch of kegs and hope I don't crash and they fly through my windshield. But if I survive that, <laughs> it's on. You
0: got it. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and thank you to Kyle Stevens for coming in and talking to us all about beer, but also rock and roll. Don't forget to check out Kirby Crackle's new album, Mutate Baby. Head on over to kirbycracklemusic.com for more information. This show is made possible by listeners like you. If you like what you heard, head on over to patreon.com forward slash survivingcreativity and please consider becoming a patron. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next week on Surviving Creativity.